On January 6th, as Congress began the process of certifying the results of this year's presidential election, won by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, a violent mob of Trump supporters stormed the United States Capitol, causing destruction and injury, disrupting the proceedings, and attacking our nation's capital in a way that has not happened since the War of 1812 when the British Army burned it down. I am Bethany Van Delft. In today's special episode of The 10 News, we'll find out more about the election certification, get the perspective of a D.C. resident, and explore the potential consequences of the current president's role in these events. You may want to grab a grown-up to listen along with you in case you have questions. Now, let's get into the 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. As of this recording, about 80 people have been arrested and tragically, five people have died. The arrests have almost all come after the fact and not during the riots, compared to hundreds of arrests during the summer's Black Lives Matter protest in D.C., The scene at the Capitol was really scary and difficult to watch for many people, and it was especially devastating for many people of color. Only months ago, we witnessed protests across the country against police violence against Black people, protests that were for the most part peaceful, but were met over and over again with more violence at the hands of the police. While Wednesday, we saw a frenzied group of people, almost entirely white, storm the Capitol, vandalize government property, and hold the democratic process hostage and be met with a very different response. It is very important to know that what happened this week at the Capitol was not a protest and to call it what it is. This was an insurrection, a violent uprising against our democracy. But tenors, know that no matter which president someone supports, There are election processes and laws in place that safeguard and ensure the will of the people. On January 20th, we will have a peaceful transfer of power when Joe Biden is sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. Georgia politician and activist Stacey Abrams summed it up perfectly when she tweeted, While today's terrible display of terror and meanness shakes us, let us remember John Ossoff, Jewish son of an immigrant, Reverend Raphael Warnock, first black senator from Georgia, will join a Catholic president of the United States and the first woman, black and Indian vice president in our nation's capital. We will move on from this moment and we will keep celebrating our diversity, respecting our fellow citizens and working towards a country where everyone's voices are heard. D.C. is not only our nation's capital, it's also home to hundreds of thousands of people. Our correspondent, Bridget Todd, is one of them. Let's get her perspective on being there and on the damaging effects of misinformation. So I'm not going to lie. Watching an insurrection unfold in the city where I live was kind of scary. It's not something I ever thought I'd see. Mayor Muriel Bowser asked for support from the National Guard. But because D.C. isn't a state, she needed to wait for special authorization from the Army. There was a 6 p.m. citywide curfew, so I stayed inside watching everything unfold on the news. My mom called to ask if I was okay. I didn't want her to be worried, but I knew it was important to tell the truth. So that's what I did. 
Telling the truth matters. And what happened in Washington, D.C. this week is actually a good example of what I mean. The people storming the Capitol thought President Trump won the election because he said it over and over and over again. He said the election was rigged against him on Facebook and Twitter. He said it on the news. Good evening. I'd like to provide the American people with an update on our efforts to protect the integrity of our very important 2020 election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. He said voting machines were rigged. He said votes for him were being destroyed and that some of the votes for Joe Biden were actually cast by dead people. He talked about it a lot. Just one problem. None of it's true. In fact, there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud, period. But that didn't stop his supporters from believing it. When someone spreads a story that isn't true without meaning to, it's called misinformation. But when someone spreads a story that isn't true because they're trying to mislead you on purpose, it's called disinformation. Add in social media sites like Facebook and Twitter, where they don't always take down stories that aren't true, and misinformation can spread like wildfire. Studies show that if someone hears an untrue story enough times, eventually they can start to believe it. Disinformation and misinformation can confuse people. It can make them scared and angry. And worse, it can cause dangerous situations like the one in D.C. The Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol did it because they believed the election was stolen from President Trump and they were angry. That's why it's so important to really understand what we read on the internet, what we see on TV, and yes, even what we hear in podcasts. Not every story is true, and not every source is one you can trust. So how can you tell? First, you can do what I did. Speak up to the adult in your life about stories you're seeing online or on television. They can help you figure out what's trustworthy and what's not. If you're not so sure about what you're seeing, you can try to find that same story from another source on Google. If a lot of trustworthy sites are reporting the same thing, that's a good sign. The most important thing is to not share stories that aren't true. The more misinformation spreads, the more people see it and the more people believe it. And don't forget, you can always reach out to us here at The 10 if you're having trouble telling if a story is true or not. Even though I was scared to be in D.C. when the insurrection started, when it was over, I watched Congress come back to the Capitol late that night. The violent mob couldn't stop the wheels of democracy from turning. I watched them certify the election for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I felt proud to be in my city, Washington, D.C., watching it happen. And that's the honest truth. Thank you, Bridget. If you have any questions, talk to a grown-up. And you can visit the10news.com for a list of some of our trusted, reputable news sources. Because of his role in spreading misinformation that fueled the insurrection at the Capitol, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram suspended President Trump's social media accounts. And even though the Electoral College count was interrupted, it was not stopped. Congress reconvened as soon as it was safe to do so and finished the process of certifying the election results in accordance with the Constitution. But what does that actually mean? And what does the Constitution say about potential consequences for a president who incited his supporters to violently disrupt the process beyond having his posting privileges revoked? We asked Constitution expert Ben Sheehan, who you may remember from an earlier episode, to help us understand. Hi, Ben. First, can you explain what election certification is and why it's part of the process? So... Here's why we certify the election results, because we're a country that's set up as 
a federal structure. Federalism is where you have one central government, but you also have these independent state governments, and it's kind of the push and pull between these state governments and the federal government. And so a president is the the chief executive officer of the United States, but this is a government that represents all of the different states. So we really, in the Constitution, left elections up to the states to decide the times, places, and manner. Some states do elections all by mail. Some states have, um, you know, early in-person voting. Some states, you have to have an excuse to vote absentee. There are all these different rules that are specific to each state. So basically, we have this scenario where each state, you know, after the election, the electors meet in the state capital and they vote for president and then those, and vice president, and those votes are sent to uh, Congress to count. Congress ultimately certifies uh, the results of the states, making sure that the, the president and the vice president are chosen um, fairly and, and smoothly. If Congress hadn't come back to finish the count, would it have stopped Joe Biden from becoming president? If Congress hadn't come back to finish the count, it would not have stopped Joe Biden from becoming president. All Congress was doing was counting the votes that were sent in by all the states, all 50, and Washington, D.C., So they were just counting something that was already decided. They're just certifying the winner. Think of it like an awards show where a person comes out and opens up the envelope to announce the winner. They didn't single-handedly decide that person won that award and they couldn't prevent that person from winning the award. They're just sort of announcing the winner. That's kind of like what this process is like. But... The process of counting the votes in Congress, stopping that process would not have stopped Joe Biden from becoming president. What exactly is the 25th Amendment? This is a great question. So the 25th Amendment was ratified in 1967, and it's actually four sections. But the one that everybody is talking about is the fourth section. And it's this process for how to deal with a president who hasn't been killed but is incapacitated, so unconscious. Section 3 of the 25th Amendment allows the president to willingly transfer their power for a period of time to the vice president. This has happened three times in our history and all during medical procedures. The the president was having a, a light surgery and temporarily transferred their power to the vice president. And then they woke up from surgery and they took their power back. But in section four, what happened if the president was injured or, or, or shot and was in a coma and, and couldn't transfer their power? What happens? And here's how it would go. And the reason it's being discussed, I should say right now, is because it doesn't specifically say in the Constitution that it can only be used if the president is incapacitated. They say that, you know, unable to do their job, unfit to serve as the office of president. So it works like this. The vice president and a majority of the cabinet, so those are the president's most trusted senior advisors, uh, there are 15 of those positions, so a majority would be eight, um, they have to write a letter and they send it to the, the Speaker of the House and the Senate President pro tempore. And right now, that's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Grassley. And they would say 
that the president is unfit for office, unable to execute the duties as president. And as soon as they receive that letter, then the vice president would become the acting president. Then the president would have a chance to respond to that letter and say, no, actually, I'm fine. I can do the job as president. And then the president goes back to being the president. Unless the vice president and that same majority of the cabinet write another letter. So we're talking about three letters total now to the same two people, Chuck Grassley and Nancy Pelosi, saying, no, really, the president can't do the job. And at that point, the vice president goes back to being the acting president, and Congress has 21 days to decide the matter. And if they decide with a two-thirds vote in both houses that the president is unfit to, to serve, unable to do the job, then uh, the president is removed from, from office and the vice president becomes the, the acting president, continues to, to act as the, as the president. Um, it's never been used in the history of our country. Again, it was only you know, created in 1967, um, but that is what the 25th Amendment does. Is impeachment an option instead? Really, the only way Congress can you know, remove a president is by impeachment and removal. And how that works is that the House votes to impeach, a, a majority vote, and that's kind of like charging the president with a crime. Now, impeachment doesn't have to be a crime, um, but for the purposes of, of this process, think of it as like you're being charged officially with wrongdoing. And then it goes to the Senate for the trial. And they have a trial, and if two-thirds of the Senate, so there's 100 members in the Senate, so two-thirds would be 67 members, um, vote to convict the president, then the president is removed from office. There's also an additional vote after that about whether or not the president can be prevented from holding federal office in the future. So if the president is convicted in the Senate, they have to be removed from office. And then they take a separate vote to decide whether or not they're going to be barred from holding federal office ever again in the future. Thank you so much for answering our questions, Ben. Tenors, if you have more questions, talk to your trusted grown-ups. And we'd like to hear from you too. You can email us with questions, observations, or really just how you're feeling about things right now at hello at the 10 news.com. This episode was recorded the day after the events in D.C. took place. As we continue to learn more, we'll keep you updated. Antenners, stay hopeful. The country will get through this. In the words of president-elect, soon-to-be president, Joe Biden, there has never been anything we can't do when we do it together. That's the end of The 10 for today. You can catch new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The 10 News is a co-production of Small But Mighty Media in collaboration with Next Chapter Podcasts and distributed by iHeartRadio. The 10 News writing team is led by editorial director Tracy Crooks with contributions from Stephen Tompkins and Bridget Todd. The creative producer is Jenner Pasqua. Marketing is led by Jacob Bronstein with social media and web support by Stephen Tompkins and Adam Farr. Editing and sound design by Pete Musto under the production direction of Jeremiah Tittle. Executive producer Donald Albright and show creator Tracy Leeds Kaplan round out the team. If you have any questions, a story idea, a fun fact, or just want to tell us how you're feeling about things, 
email us at hello at the 10 news.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the 10 news on Apple podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Bethany Van Delft. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the 10 news. 